Matthew chapter 5, taken out of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, a little section. And Jesus spoke about us being the light of the world. If you want to turn in Matthew chapter 5 to verse 14, 15 and 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I don't ordinarily comment on items in the news. As a matter of fact, I, I probably never do it. But um, I'm going to sort of break with, with my usual manner of teaching and preaching this morning to draw from two stories that are currently dominating our news that are of what I would consider historic relevance. And though they seemingly share no connection with each other, yet they combine together, I believe, to form a message from God for those that have ears to hear it. The first story is of the passing into glory of the most prominent Christian of our age, America's pastor, Billy Graham. Now, I don't want to talk the, uh, about Billy Graham and, and the, uh, uh, you know, all of the great things in his life, but maybe just, just, just to call attention to how fruitful and powerful and how significant his passing is for his ministry spanned eight decades. <coughs> he was an advisor to 12 presidents and he preached to live audiences of 215 million people in 185 countries. That's got to be some kind of world record. Uh, I believe it was yesterday that they had his funeral in North Carolina. And then this week, he will join the only three other civilian Americans that ever were laid to rest in state, or not laid to rest, but were laid in state um, at the Capitol Rotunda in Washington, D.C., while the nation was offered the opportunity to come and pay their respects. So Billy Graham will be lying in state where the presidents normally are. When Graham's children asked him a number of years ago, when you pass away, what do you want written on your tombstone? He simply replied, preacher. Um, when I heard that, I thought about John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, in verse 22, the Pharisees came to John and they said, what do you say about yourself? Who are you? So that we can go give an account to those that send us. Who are you? What do you say of yourself? And John answered and said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And he quoted Isaiah. People like John the Baptist and Billy Graham tailor their entire life 
around God's message. And as, as John the Baptist said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight paths for your feet and prepare the way of the Lord. John's entire life was tailored to that message. His life was that message. And before the great appearance of Jesus Christ, God sent John the Baptist. And the Lord always sends men and women like Billy Graham, like John the Baptist, to prepare the world to receive Jesus. Think about it. 215 million people in live audience, not to mention the hundreds of millions that saw and heard him by TV and radio around the world. And so, Billy Graham was a man like John the Baptist who simply poured his life into the gospel, into, into the, the, the uh, heritage, if you will, of Jesus, which was his gospel. So that when you thought about Billy Graham, you thought about Jesus. When you heard the name Billy Graham, you thought Jesus. People set up a little straighter, thought about perhaps where their life was at in relation to eternity. It's said that when Graham would enter a room, the presence of God would walk in with him, whether it was with presidents or heads of state or, or just normal people. When he would walk into the room, there was a kind of presence of God that would come in and it would bring people to attention before heaven. Don't you want to have that kind of influence? Don't you see how desperately we need people like that who literally bring people to attention before God? It's still within their own will and the power of the will to make a decision whether they're going to receive Jesus. But there is no mistaking the fact that you can be, as Jesus said, the light of the world. And if you are someone in whom heaven's light resides, then you do have a responsibility to be the light of the world. Be taken out from underneath a bushel basket, put up on a hill where everyone can see it, be lit so that the whole house knows there is the light. Somebody say amen if you get where I'm, where I'm going with this. And, you know, that is how the world knew Billy Graham. He tailored his whole life around God's message. And he brought our society and the society of many nations around the world to the foot of the cross. He brought the attention of those that lived in darkness to the presence of the light. Billy Graham, as a living legacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, was the light of the world. But he wasn't the only light of the world. He made decisions that made him the kind of witness for Jesus Christ that he was. And you and I face those same decisions every day. Can you say amen? amen. It was not only in his presence, but also the very testimony of, Jesus, of, of Billy Graham. Think about your own testimony. When your name is mentioned, how do people react when they hear your name? When Billy Graham was mentioned, it evoked responses 
within. Not everybody, but many people. That's how powerful a testimony of someone who lives as the light of the world really is. When people hear your name, what kind of a reaction do they get? Well, not only his presence, but his testimony affected people's conscience, reminded them about God, convicted them of right and wrong. How amazing that if you walk in the love and in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, truly represent Jesus as the light of the world, that the mere presence among people, or even the mention of your name or the testimony of of your name can convict people of right and wrong. Just make people stop even for just a moment and think about light and darkness, right and wrong. And it confronts people with Jesus and presents them with hope. When I think of how Billy Graham's life was distilled down to Jesus' gospel, that he made decisions so that his life was about Jesus. And that was it. You know, I read, amazingly, maybe I had read it years ago, but uh, I, I was doing a little reading just in research and uh, learned that he, was, he had some architectural skills. Chris, Chris is an architect. He, he was like a hobby. I don't know how far he got in, in uh, training and everything, but he, he had that interest anyway. I never knew that. I had no idea. The only thing I thought Billy Graham was interested in was Jesus. And uh, it's the only thing he ever talked about. You know, I, I just, when I think about how his life was distilled down to that singular message, and I realize how he was the light to the world that could not be hidden, when I realize how much good could be done through one person who lives that singular pursuit of Jesus, when I think about how much darkness and despair spreads when the light isn't shining, how quickly people's lives sink into darkness, how quickly hope evaporates, how quickly communities, nations, fall into darkness and people sink into despair because of the retracting of the light, the receding of the light. Darkness is simply that force of sin waiting to have its impact and inject its sickness and increase that sickness and darkness with the pulling back of the light. We as Christians cannot let our light be stuck under a bushel basket. We have got to get out from under the bushel basket and discern the times that we are living in. When I think about Billy Graham and I think about his influence, I think about how much good was done and how much darkness Satan was just waiting to get people like him and others out of the way so immediately that darkness can grow again. It makes me want to live as he lived. That was one item in the news that really I think God is trying to talk to us and say there's something prophetic about Billy Graham passing away. I, you know, when I heard that he passed away at 99, I thought, well, it's, it's kind of odd. I mean, um, why didn't the Lord let him stay to at least you feel a sense of accomplishment? I made 100. Then, then I could go. And, um, but I think 
you know, timing is everything. They say that uh, his body just wore out. But I really believe that he passed away when he did this past Wednesday, right in the news cycle, if you will, of things that are going on, because timing is prophetic and God is speaking something. All over TV and the radio, preachers are talking about Christians getting serious about witnessing for Jesus, about letting our light shine. A warning seems to be emerging, not just from the typical sources of preachers who are constantly uh, prophesying things, but from the most conservative corners in the body of Christ, pastors, men and women of God, are coming to the pulpit with a sense of, of urgency and a little bit of a sense of alarm, a sense that a fuse has been lit. And if you're going to get serious about Jesus, get on the stick and do it while you have the time to do it. Can you say amen? So it makes me want to live like the Apostle Paul lived who wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. I want to be able to say, I'm an imitator of Christ, so you can imitate my life. Do you want people to imitate your life? They, uh, you, you can pursue Jesus like that so that people can come to him just following, following your life. Well, that was the first story, but I told you today that there were two seemingly unrelated stories that I wanted to comment on, but I believe they combined together to speak a message. And the second story is the story of Nicholas Cruz, a 19-year-old former student from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, who on Valentine's Day, just a week before Graham's passing, entered his former high school and murdered 17 students and wounded 14 others. Within hours of that mass murder, the story exploded into a debate of, uh, about what was to blame for this mass killing. Was it guns? Was it mental illness? Was it uh, government inaction? But debating whether the lack of security or the availability of guns and all those issues is to blame for these mass murders overlooks the actual problem. And that is that an erosion is occurring in our society, an erosion that is feeding a growing sickness in the heart of people. The devil does not want the only light that is capable of bringing an answer to that receding light, that growing darkness, that sickness is the light of the gospel. You are the possessors of that light. It is you and I, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that have that answer. Now, we can't answer the debates over whether government inaction or guns. Or, you know, that stuff is people are going to just argue that. You and I can't speak to that. We can't argue that. That really isn't our argument. But what we can do is our lives are directed and pointed right at the real heart of this thing. And that's where these two stories intersect and share a divine and prophetic intersection. And that is... That with the decline of the boldness of Christians, we are seeing the advancing of the sickness in people's hearts of sin. We don't have a decline of churches. They're popping up all over the place. 
And we probably don't have a decline of, of people coming to Jesus. But what we are seeing is a receding of the willingness to be bold and let your light shine before men. Out of courtesy and consideration for people who love darkness, we are keeping our light reserved under the bushel basket and waiting for, I don't know, socially acceptable circumstances in which we can share the gospel in a relevant way. Jesus is the only relevance to life. Everything else is shrouded in the irrelevance of sin and the death which with, with, with which it is pulling people into eternity. So I want to encourage you today to be bold because in this second story, as I have listened to it and it's pulled on my heartstrings and I think about this awful debate that is going on and where everybody is going with, with all of the arguments and realizing that none of those discussions are going to result in any kind of solution whatsoever because they're all leading people away from where the real problem, the real issue is. Nicholas Cruz had a sickness in his life that is a sickness in everybody who is under the power of darkness. And if you're not a child of God, you are under that power. And to one degree or another, you are holding down that sickness from spreading. It spread in him. And that is a sickness of sin and the darkness that it is bringing. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'll just read the first three verses. You're probably pretty familiar with it, but I'd like to read it out of the, the Amplified only because in this case I think it, it, it helps us to focus on just how uh, critical to our moment that we're living in this prophecy is from the Apostle Paul. He starts by saying, but understand. But understand this. That in the last days will come perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered, lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate greedy desire for wealth, proud, arrogant, contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing. It's popular to scoff. At righteousness. It's popular to make fun of the things of God, the things that actually support life, the underpinning of life, the things that, that really do make goodness, what little goodness we can find in this life, to scoff at those things, to blaspheme against them, to laugh at them. Paul goes on, he says, they will become abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. It's amazing. Profanity has reached into the body of Christ. It's now acceptable in some churches to profane the name of the Lord and to be profane in the pulpit. There's a not just a coarseness, but a profanity that is rising up. Where is it finding the room to grow in our society, in our world? Where is that room for darkness to expand coming from? It is the receding 
and the retreating light from people like you and I who are not becoming more bold but less bold, more considerate of what other people think, more afraid of the opinions of others, less concerned with what the God who has commissioned us to be the light of the world and he goes on and he says, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, profane, without natural human affection, callous and inhumane. That is where uh, Nicholas Cruz lives. He lives in that prophecy, that place. That is the real issue. When I heard these very passionate arguments from the students that it met with the different uh, uh, political leaders and so forth, and, and uh, some of them very passionate, some of them very articulate, and arguing and saying, you know, the, this particular gun has killed all these people. And I thought to myself, I have been paying attention over the past year since Columbine and the other school shootings. And what I remember is that all those teenagers and young people were killed by teenagers and young people but nobody is saying it. It wasn't guns that killed them or hatchets or firebombs or anything else. It was teenagers. It was people. I wanted to say to those kids, wait a minute, your people killed you. Your people are killing you. Your friends are slaughtering, murdering, and killing you. Why aren't you concerned about what's happening to you? where this is coming from. So, further down in the prophetic narrative that, that the Apostle Paul gave when he said in the last days, very stressful, difficult times. People won't be able to argue and come up with reasons for anything. Craziness, insanity is going to rise up more and more. And he gives a reason down in verse 5, and, and I'll just... Read it to you. There's two different translations that help to bring it out. In one of them it says, they will act religious. These very same ones that I read the description of, it says they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Another translation expands the thought a little bit and says, they will maintain an outward appearance of religion, but will have repudiated its power. In other words, it is holding forth a pretext of righteousness and of religion or, or spirituality or whatever you want to call it, of goodness, of humanness. Uh, but the fact is, denying the power is another way of saying denying Jesus, denying God's right to rule. And so, you know, over the, over the decades, it's the taking of the things of God out of our public life. It's the pushing them into the corner. All those things probably had a little bit to do with it, but I think the bigger chunk of it is the Christians willing to go into those corners and live there and not be bold as we ought to be bold. Like Billy Graham was bold all his life. He was so courteous. He was so thoughtful. You don't have to be obnoxious to be bold. You don't have to be mean to be bold. You can be bold in love. You can be bold in grace. You don't have to let the devil lure you in to attacking sinners about their sin to confront them with the life 
and the grace of Jesus Christ. Be bold in love. That's, what, that's why I admired Billy Graham so much because even when he dealt with very difficult social issues, he did it in a way that just the answer always came back to Jesus. We're all sinners. But Jesus died to save us of his sin. He left it in the hands of the Holy Spirit Amen. to deal with people's hearts, but he didn't shrink back from the truth. And Christians today are trying to come up with new, clever things to say, interesting, relevant things to talk to people about. But the dialogue isn't saving anybody. The dialogue isn't delivering anybody. Until you get down to have you received Jesus as your Savior, until you can turn a soul over to God so that they are literally putting their life in the hands of God, there's not going to be a change. And this pathetic young man, I don't know what his future is going to be like, but today he is a pathetic young man who took 17 lives. And let me tell you, there's a lot more like him that are waiting for their opportunity, ready to step up, to take advantage of the darkness that's rising. They are confused. I don't want to get off on this, but I have to just mention, I don't know how. You raise children and you tell them that the world is a miserable place and that they are the center of their own universe. How you take the hope of the gospel and you take boundaries and standards away. I heard a thing recently, um, it might have been Focus on the Family, one of the shows or something on TV. One of the guys on there said, you know, when I was growing up, and I could tell by listening to him that he was probably my age, he said, we used to teach children to obey their parents. He said, nowadays, parents obey their children. I thought, boy, that is, it's a mouthful right there. How do you raise children like that? How do you prepare them for a world that really is harsh and cruel? Take away their responsibility to have to be tough and have to fail and get up and succeed again. How do you do all those things and then expect that they're not going to freak out when they come under the pressures of the world? So we have, a, we have generations of people who are flipping out. And the, the Bible tells exactly why. The form of godliness but denying its power. Do we have a form of godliness? and deny its power? Do you have a form of godliness but deny its power? If you're not letting your light shine, if you're not projecting Jesus, if you're not sharing him, if when you walk into a room people don't know that the gospel just walked into the room, then you are denying its power. Because Jesus said you are the light of the world. And he said if that light's properly set on a hill, then when you walk into a room people will know that Jesus just walked in. I mean, they may not connect and say Jesus walked in, but if you walk in and something doesn't happen, now people aren't going to put it together in their head and say, oh, he's a Christian and Jesus is Lord. I mean, that would be nice. But at least when you walk in, they feel that conviction. They're reminded there is a right and a wrong. When people come into your presence, are they reminded there is a right and a wrong? Now, I'm, again, I'm not talking about that you're a fault finder and a critical person and everyone knows you to be a critical, fault finding, judgmental person. And so when you walk in, 
you know, they're, they are reminded about not right and wrong, true right and wrong, but they're reminded about the tediousness of legalism. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who brings people into confrontation with the light. You need to let your light shine. Can you say amen? amen. You know, that's where I believe these two messages intersect, was that in that horrible tragedy, that, that mass murder, and it's painfully driving all these people to try to figure out who's to blame, where's the responsibility. That question leads to Jesus. It leads to why Jesus came. It leads to the gospel. It leads to why there had to be a Jesus that came into this world. The stage is set for you to walk out if you're bold enough and let your light shine. It's there. The backdrop is there. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. I want to close with this illustration. You may have read it before or heard it. Famous illustration. It was used by D.L. Moody. It's been used by a lot of other uh, great uh, men and women of God over the years. And it's the story of a European traveler to the Middle East who was uh, visiting a shepherd and a group of shepherds. And they had all of their flocks together in one big fold. And as he watched, the various shepherds would walk near the, the uh, sheepfold and they would call Mana Mana or, or Mina Mina, however it's pronounced, but in, in that native Arabic tongue, it was the way of calling the sheep. And they'd use the same words, Mina Mina. Let's, I'll just use that when I've heard different uh, interpretations of that word. From among maybe the hundreds of sheep, the couple dozens of that one shepherd would just peel out from the fold. That one flock would all come out and follow that shepherd. He'd walk off and they'd be following him. Then the other shepherd would walk up, mina, mina, same words, and then, you know, several other sheep would come out. And he watched this as two or three of these shepherds would walk up, call, and the voice of the shepherd would lead out of the big fold, all the, and they, the sheep would follow him. And so the, the traveler uh, sees the one last shepherd who he had been a guest of, that shepherd, he said, will those sheep follow me? He said, what if I put your, your turban on and put you know, your, your clothes on? Can I try it? And uh, the shepherd, knowing where this was going to end up, said, sure. And he gave him his outfit. And, and the guy stood there and he said, mina, mina. And the sheep just kept eating the grass. <laughs> he said, come on, mina, mina. Sheep didn't do anything. They just stood there. And so he said to the guy, he said, what is it? He said, the, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. There was no voice of the shepherd in Nicholas Cruz's heart. There was no voice of a shepherd for him to follow. You are that voice of the shepherd to the world around you. You are planting that voice so that when they hear it, Maybe they're not saved, but if you share Jesus with them, that voice of the shepherd, the Holy Spirit could come on them one night like he came on me. Though I was an atheist, I, I had somebody plant the gospel in me. I didn't understand it, but they planted it in me. And one night Jesus called, and I heard that voice. I knew it was him. And so the guy put the outfit on, and he called the sheep, and the sheep wouldn't budge. 
And he went back to the shepherd. He said, uh, he said, well, those, those sheep only follow your voice. Will they never follow anyone else? He said, yeah, but there's an exception. He said, when they get sick, they'll follow anybody. Sick sheep will follow anyone. We have a society full of sick sheep. I nearly wept when I thought, and the Lord put this in my heart, when I thought about that, that young man, that 19-year-old. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, not, um, you know, I'm not one of these weird uh, people who, who advocate for you know, the evildoers and that sort of thing. I, I'm not really in a position anywhere except with the Lord. But I realized that this evil young man has no voice of the shepherd in him. Sick sheep. Somewhere along the way, he started following something. The Bible says, Satan having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. And he was listening to Jesus the whole time, but he didn't open his heart. The voice of the shepherd was not in there, but he was listening to darkness. And I am telling you today that six sheep will follow anyone, and that's what's happening in our world today. And you can make a difference. The place where these two stories share an intersection, the passing of Billy Graham, who was a great personification of the legacy of Jesus, and the sad story of these 17 kids who were murdered and lost their life because of a sick sheep. Not a not a gun that found a sick sheep, a sick sheep who found a way to kill 17 people. And these things are going to continue to happen along the skirmish line in the battle between light and darkness. And you are on that front line. You can let your life shine for Jesus. You are in a battle and in a conflict. I'd like you to close your Bible and stand with me this morning. And, but you always quoted as I. But Jesus didn't say I, he said we. We must perform the works of him who sent me while it is daytime. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus was talking about the fact that he was the light of the world. And that sentence is so awkward, but it's the only way that, that heaven can speak to us and tell us of this strange and wonderful dynamic that Jesus, though he is the light of the world, we are the presenters of Jesus. And so this weird, awkward, structured sentence, I want to read it to you again, and I want your mind to get a hold of this. These are the words of Jesus. We must perform the works of him who sent me. While it is day, as long as I'm in the world, it is day. The night comes when nobody can work. And so today we are fighting this battle along the skirmish line between night and day, light and dark. And you hold the line of the light. And so I want to challenge you today to go back on Monday and to start your day with the Lord. And give yourself to God before you go off to your job or your responsibilities as the light of the world. 
Arm yourself with that mentality. I am the light of the world. I am going to let my light shine. When I come up against darkness, I will let my light shine. Lord, show me how to do that. Help me to be that light. Because Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, then the light of day, while you can work, is there. How does Jesus stay in the world? But by you and I letting his light shine. Can you say amen? Bow your heads with me in prayer this morning. Father, we come boldly to the throne of grace because you came boldly into this world and the throne of grace is here. We just worship you right now. Take this moment to say thank you. We are grateful. But with this salvation, we have received an assignment. There's a responsibility. If we have received heaven's light, then we must be the light of the world. And Father, this morning, wherever each of us are standing, we renew our heart to be the light of the world today. We renew our heart to live like Billy Graham in our own life and in our own way to make sure that those around us are in the audience, have an audience with Jesus. And so I just pray that prayer of commitment and we agree together that, Lord, you will refresh and renew us. If we're distracted, forgive us and break those patterns of distraction. Help us to put first things first and to pursue the kingdom of God above everything. I thank you and praise you for it, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Now